welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, I am currently sitting with a very needy puppy, my puppy Custard, on my lap because she won't leave me alone long enough to record any intros. Uh, But I'd love to tell you about meeting Aja Barber. I've followed her on Instagram for so long. She's brilliant. She talks about sustainable fashion. We discussed that a little bit as well as leaving a long-term relationship and what to do kind of coming out of that and recovery and moving to a different country and finding love again. Yay! I do fangirl a little bit, so I'm sorry about that. (laughs) But definitely check out Aja on Instagram if you like this chat because she shares so many important messages on there and I'm so excited that I got to talk to her on the pod. So I am joined by Aja Barber, writer and author of Consumed. Welcome to The Divorce Social. (laughs) Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. How does it feel when I say welcome to The Divorce Social? Because you're not divorced, are you? Well, no, I'm not. And I'm like, if anyone's listening to this, no, no, Steve's still in the picture. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) But the premise was interesting because I think we've all gone through like breakups or ending of relationships. And so I think anyone can really speak to that. Not everyone can speak to divorce, but relationships ending, we can all speak to that. Yeah, definitely. You just didn't also have to fill out paperwork to do with it. Or maybe you did. I don't know. We'll delve. (laughs) But how long ago was this particularly memorable breakup that you'd like to talk about? So I always categorize 2013 as the worst year of my adult life. It was just a miserable year. So 2013. Why was it so miserable? Was it this breakup or was there like a whole list? It was everything. You know, when your life just sort of falls like magnificently apart. I don't want to give the breakup too much credit, but like it was also a catalyst for me to really start talking openly 
about race and all the things that I talk about on my platform because I hadn't been doing that. I hadn't been talking honestly about it, especially not on the internet. And I would argue after 2013, I just stopped giving a fuck. And in some ways it was freeing. And I would argue that that pivotal year made me the person that I am today, for sure. But it was horrible through the midst of it. So I have been dating someone. And one of the things I'll say about the DC area is that I felt like when I lived in the DC area, my standards were unbelievably low. And I would get excited about like anything, like just like, oh my God, you know what I mean? And part of that is because the ratio of men to women in DC is extremely off balance, or at least it was for a long amount of time. So like, it's not uncommon to see a man who is a total troll with a really hot woman in DC. Like it's just, it's a very DC thing. And also DC is very political, high power, that sort of thing. It's sort of, I I think people have referred to DC as like nerd prom (laughs) because it is very nerdy. Like there are people that are powerful, but in LA, it isn't bright and shiny lights and super like, you know, attractive people, but there's a lot of power going on. And so it's just not uncommon to see women in the DC area where I'm from dating completely beneath themselves. And I was that person. And I would get excited about anything that was like slightly mediocre. And so I've been dating this person, I was really excited, like, oh, wow, this is the first time that I'm feeling really good about something. And this person just yanked the rug beneath me. I think everybody has had that before where you think that it's fine and then it turns out that the person just unceremoniously like dumps you out of the blue and you're just like, what? I did not see that coming. But also, I just feel so fucking silly for getting excited. My pride was so hurt because I really didn't see it coming that it made me really depressed and sad. And so for like two weeks, I just was really sad and cried a lot and just stuck to myself. And my grandmother was living with me and my parents at the time. I had to move back in with my parents. It was it was horrible. And I didn't talk to anyone. And then my grandmother had a stroke and she didn't recover. So I'm so sorry. That was really, really hard because sorry, I'm trying not to cry. I wasted the last two weeks being upset about something that was completely out of my control. And then I lost someone who was so dear to me. And you can't get that back. You can't, you can't bring it back. I remember she was in the hospital for weeks and then she went into hospice care. I was just crying at her bed and she woke up for just a really short, brief time period. And she reached over and stroked my head and said, it's okay. Grammy knows that you were hurting. Sorry, I'm like, this is supposed to be happy. And I'm like remembering this and there's still so much trauma around No, not at all. Even in her last moments, there she is trying to comfort me for like, you know, feeling embarrassed and silly about something that didn't work out. And like, I could have spent so much time just laughing with her. And instead, I just was miserable. So that was a pivotal life-changing moment with me where I was just like, Never again will I ever let anyone make me feel this way. Because when that happens, you lose things you can't get back. You can't get back that time that was spent like 
moping. You can't get back those precious moments with family and you never know when you might run out of time, you know? So that was a really, really, really intense experience. And the rest of the year, I was just in this weird place. I had lost all the work I had. I moved back into my parents' basement. I had been dumped. I had lost my grandmother. And you know how people say like when you start from the bottom, there's only one way to go, which is up. That mm-hmm. was it. It was my rock bottom, which is silly because in retrospect, the relationship didn't matter that much. But all of the chain events of like spending that time moping and being really sad because I didn't understand why I got the rug pulled out beneath me and then losing my grandmother and then just being so like depressed. I mean, I went on antidepressants and they were great. I'm not currently on them for a lot of different reasons, but like, let me tell you, oh, yummy antidepressants. I'm on anti-anxiety medication oh, and it's the dream. I love you, Celexa. And I have to say, like, I think perhaps at different time periods of my life, it would have served me to have been medicated. Like, I think high school would have been a lot easier. But that was the moment where my family was like, you need to get on something. You need to, you need to get, we're going to help you because girl, like you, you need to get up off the floor. So I went on antidepressants. They were amazing. And what it gave me was this complete joie de vivre where I just didn't give a fuck. You know, it was like, you're already on the floor. So like, why not say the thing about race? Why not date the person you wouldn't normally date? It's just for fun. It's not going to end in marriage. But you know what? We're going to have a lot of fun together. Let's just do that. Let's talk about race and piss people off. Let's actually go back to writing about fashion, even though you got so discouraged earlier. And I would argue that that pivotal moment really helped me to become the person I am today. But I had to really pick myself up off the floor from zero. Like I talk a lot about how when I met Steve, I was living in my parents' basement, but I also really didn't give a shit whether or not he judged me for it or not. And luckily he didn't. He was like, I've got a full-time job at this prestigious paper. Can I leave it and come live in your parents' basement with you? (laughs) (laughs) He was like, is there room for two? Can we get a Nintendo? Like, and that really warmed my heart because a lot of the people I was dating were really judgmental about me living at home, which is so like shitty. So it was surprisingly refreshing that this guy in London who had his own flat was like, no, good for you. You figured it out. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true though, because like I've been guilty of it, you know, when you're on dating apps or you're finding people and you're like, oh, they live at home. What? But actually, I think after my divorce, I realized everyone has that period where you go and stay with your parents. And normally it's the kind of recovery time. It's the recovery time. That moment where I really had to pick myself up from like the darkest place I've been in, I think was pivotal to me. Like now I look back upon it and I almost feel like I had to go through that to be where I am today. But Gosh darn it, it was horrible. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting because I'm doing some work at the moment with a coach. I had a counsellor originally just straight after my breakup and I'm working with a coach and the coach said to me that me and my ex were meant to be together 
because it's got me to where I was now. You know, we were meant to be together and then we were meant to break up. And this idea of like accepting that that wasn't a mistake. Yeah. But actually, you know, and hearing your story that it's actually turned into an amazing thing and made you who you are in a a really kind of strong, positive way, I think is really nice to hear. Because when you're in it, you're like, how can this ever be a good thing? It's hell. You're just like wow, I am so depressed, I can't eat, and I have no job, and I live in my parents' basement, and we're, you know, I'm writing a eulogy for my grandmother. Like, Jesus Christ, you know? Yeah, that's a lot. So I just wanted to go back to what happened in the breakup in those two weeks when you Mm -hmm. were crying just before your gran got ill. It sounded, when you were explaining about it, that you have a bit of guilt still around that is that something that you've worked on letting go or now this is getting into a therapy session (laughs) I think I need I think I do need to work on letting that go but yeah no I do feel guilty that I was such a wet blanket in her last two weeks on earth like yeah that I feel very guilty about that but I think guilt is such a relatable thing in t- in t- doing with breakup and how you deal with it. And I know I have tons of guilt about all sorts of things. But do you think crying over a lost relationship is being a wet blanket, as you called yourself? In retrospect, absolutely. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, no, it's no. an understandable reaction. Oh, no. At the time, I was just like, and, and, you know, I don't think I was even crying over the relationship. I was crying because I felt silly. It was my ego that made me feel bad. It was just like this thing that I had gotten excited about didn't work out. But I also didn't see it coming because this person was not very forthcoming. There's nothing worse than like meeting someone's family and being paraded around like a prize pony, you know? And then it's like... <laughs> by the way no that rejection is hard and when you were telling the story it reminded me of times when I've gone out with someone and I thought you know especially when I was younger and I was like I'm way too good for this person like lucky them to be going out with me and then they've broken up with me and I've been like the audacity <laughs> for them to break up with me but but like been genuinely like upset and like angry about it yeah it's just, I feel like we've all been there of like relatable well I didn't even really think that it was going to be a thing but then I was just getting excited about it like you know like and then why did you end it but you know where that comes from though and I think particularly with women often we lower our expectations in order to be okay with relationships that's where I think that comes from I think women are so used to sort of having to lower the expectations of what we want that we do get excited about things that might not be like awesome. And that's a societal thing to deal with. But then at the same time, I was single much of my 20s. And if I had a dollar for every time someone told me that I was too picky, or you just want everyone to be a prince, but that's not the reality, or, you know, just telling me that my standards were essentially too high. That's where that comes from. I feel like a lot of people would still give that as like advice to someone who's still single of like your standards are too high you've got to give people a chance what I tell people is it's a numbers game I tell people don't get too emotionally invested which was how I carried on 
you know, after that, I was like, don't get too emotionally invested, but instead try and have fun and look at it as a numbers game. (laughs) Don't look at it as like, oh my God, am I going to marry this person? And I really did have fun after that. I started dating people that I really didn't really see it being like long-term. But then at the same time, on the other hand, you have people telling women, TikTok, better hurry up. You know what I mean? So it's like, You can't even really enjoy just having fun because the world tells you that you're not supposed to do that, especially if you're like unmarried and over the age of 30. Or they're worried about you because you're being a bit wild. Yeah. Because you're like, you know, going for it. And and obviously your friends are going to worry and as long as you're being safe. But actually, it's really nice to have fun. I had a friend of me who used to like slag off every person I dated. And I was just like you know what, you've got to go because your relationship is nowhere near perfect. By the way, this friend of me is now divorced and apparently the divorce is quite nasty. I should get her on the pod. (laughs) (laughs) At the time, you know, they were in this relationship that was really fast moving, but definitely had gigantic red flags. But she was a friend of me because she was constantly putting down the people that I was dating and just having fun with. Like, I met this man in Italy who was lovely and he would call me constantly just to like chat and just always profess his love for me. That was exactly what I needed. Something that was low stakes where I felt fond over and she'd be like, he just sounds like a player. And I'm like, fuck you. This is what I want right now. You know, and if someone can't see that you're having fun for the first time and really enjoying what you're enjoying, then maybe it's them that needs to go. Because I wouldn't take back that time period between meeting Stephen and a really bad breakup for anything. It was great. And how long was that time period? How long were you having fun for? Uh, Probably about three years, maybe. I dated a few people during that time period. And I would say the people from that time period are the ones that I would still like chat with today. Like I don't really make it a habit to like talk to exes and a lot of stuff in my 20s went so bad and sour towards the end that I don't wish to have like any contact with those people. But the people during that time period, I am still Facebook friends with. That's good. You're obviously a nice person. I went (laughs) a bit wild in a fun way, but I don't talk to a lot of the people I went (laughs) wild fun with. (laughs) Um, In fact, not sure I could remember all of their names, if I'm being honest. I knew their name at the time and that's what matters, isn't it? Um, So I just want to take you back to, you know, you said you hit rock bottom. You were in your parents' basement. You know, your gran had just passed you had this breakup what did you do or what did the people around you do to help you out of that place Oof, that's a tough one because I come from a long line of people who don't get the help that they need (laughs) and a lot of that has to do with systemic you know issues surrounding help and mental health help for black people you know so I would say everyone just sort of freaked out and was full of loathing for the fact that they couldn't help me. You know, there are a lot of tough love lectures happening, not to trigger anyone. So trigger warning, but I stopped eating during that time period. I could not eat. And it was 
depression. It was spending a lot of time in a hospital. I find hospitals very hard to eat in, just all the different smells, but also the anxiety of what is happening. You know, seeing people lose people. My grandmother was in intensive care and the person next door to them didn't make it. And they gathered the family and having to listen to that was gut-wrenching. And like, when I am in those sorts of scenarios, appetite gone for months. So I always share pictures from that time period, but I remind people, don't compliment people on weight loss because you never know what they're going through. And that time period, I was the smallest I have ever been in my adult life and arguably the most miserable I've ever been. It's a really good reminder, actually. I still remember a time quite a few years ago now where I complimented someone on their weight loss. And then they told me that actually they'd been going through a really hard time and it was all because of that and they didn't mean to lose the weight. And that that was a real turning point for me of, oh, why am I commenting on people's weight as a way to compliment yeah yeah people people kept telling me I looked amazing during that time period I was like I'm miserable thank you, you know? <laughs> I feel horrific but thanks. I haven't eaten in months <laughs> oh my gosh and because you said that you know there are lots of issues and stigma around mental health especially if you're black and yeah. getting the help yes what would you say to anyone listening who's feeling that at the moment, but they want help? How can they go about it? Only you know what you need and you have to block out the stigma and the judgment in order to get help. And if you can't find what you need with the people that surround you, seek outside sources, look online, but you know, deep down in your heart of hearts, what you need most. And Believe that, believe that and stick to it. And there is no shame in medication. If anything, it's brilliant. (laughs) I agree from the anxiety medication side of things. Other than kind of trying to deal with your mental health and, and getting medication, was there anything you did at that time that you found useful for kind of that recovery or getting to a better place? Like, you know, some people talk about exercise. I don't. I just eat lovely food and that helps me. Um, or like hanging out with friends or even I painted my kitchen pink and that really <laughs> just really helped me. I don't know why. I would argue that some of the habits I was engaging in were super unhealthy. Like I was exercising to the extreme. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was taking things that were normally healthy and being like, how can I make this actually probably something I shouldn't do. Um, I lost all this weight. So I went and bought a bunch of clothing. Don't do that. If you lose weight, ask your friends if you can like borrow things or whatever. But like, you're never you're not going to stay that size. So like I bought all this clothing ended up like having to like sell it all like two years later because it didn't fit anymore. I managed to turn even the healthiest habits into like super unhealthy things during that time period. No, but that's interesting too, isn't it? Because people say, you know, oh, you should exercise or you should do these things, you know, maybe give yourself a makeover. But actually you can go to the extreme with those things so they become unhealthy. So when did you realize you were exercising too much? I just think, you know, you try on a pair of trousers that used to like fit you fine and they're like slipping and you're just like, 
hmm, but everyone's telling you, you look fine and you look great. And you're like, but is that true? Because I am dying on the inside. I don't think that's true. I think I'm being lied to. For me, my dad was like, you need to go and talk to someone. And he was really, really stern about it. I think the only way my parents know how to like respond to things that are so hard is to be angry about it. That's just their response. It was like, you're going to a doctor. And I was like, no, I'm not. And he's like, yes, you are. (laughs) But nice of a family member to step in though, I guess. Yeah, but he was like really angry about it. I just think we don't know how to process our feelings surrounding these things. And so my dad's response is anger. Like, (laughs) Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's the ad break. So it's a perfect time to remind you to hit subscribe to be notified about more episodes. You can also leave us a lovely review because honestly, it makes a difference to the chart positions. And one time I was in the charts next to Michelle Obama and I was really thrilled about it. So it'd be nice to do that again. Uh, You can also join in the conversation on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod. We have a website thedivorcesocial.com and you can also join us for our like 90s style divorce chat room experience over on Patreon. So just go to patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines, B-A-I-N-E-S and it starts at £2 a month and we all have lovely and awful and amazing chats. See you there. You mentioned you went shopping and bought all these clothes and then you had to sell them again. And obviously now you talk a lot about sustainable fashion and your book. Was that something that like ideas that started coming during that time to you? Definitely. Like, what am I doing? I am so unhappy. And I'm like, let's spend money I don't have because I'm unemployed. Woo! You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I began to realize that the ways in which I was shopping were not healthy at all. And I had always sort of had an unhealthy attitude towards like consumption and spending, but that also got amped up during that time period. It was like all of my unhealthy habits just really 
I just took it to an 11 during that time period. (laughs) And so it got me thinking about all of these things. And yes, I would argue that it was definitely a catalyst towards like what I talk about today. It was a pivotal moment. Because I was really interested to talk to you about this because I am a shopper. Mm -hmm. Like I have always shopped too much. I think it started when I was younger. My mum would let me have mental health days off school. So if I felt awful, you know, she'd let me have the day off, which in some ways was great. But then to cheer me up, she'd take me shopping. So then it became this like special and we wouldn't buy loads, but it became this like special thing of like, oh, I love shopping and it's a treat and shopping cheers me up. And I feel like I've kept not to blame my mum. I mean, bless her. She's like, oh, no, everything I've done is wrong. (laughs) My mum, does your mum say to you, I guess I was just the worst mother in the world? Yeah, she just worries that everything. Yeah, it's like, I'm just the worst mother in the world. And sometimes I'm like, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if it was that or but basically I have always shopped to cheer myself up. Do you have any advice for me? What have you learned during your sustainable fashion journey? You know, the thing I tell people is monitor those feelings when you go shopping, monitor what's behind that and try and address the feeling rather than taking part in the action. I always tell people not to go shopping when you're sad. You know what I mean? Because I used to do that. I know that. Pay attention to the feelings behind what compels you to shop and try and get to the root of that instead of tackling it with shopping. Now I view shopping as something that I do, but I do it with such enjoyment and I have a method to like what it is that I buy. And I'm not the type of person anymore where I go into a store and I'm just eager to spend money. I'm spending money because this is something that I have thought about for a long time. It's something that I would like to purchase, something that has a purpose in my house. And some of that also, you know, my journey with all of this has definitely come from like a place of one, like moving overseas, moving here to be with Steven. I had to get rid of 50 to 75% of my possessions. And that really gets you thinking about your stuff. Let me tell you, moving overseas is like God's punishment for materialism. I knew all the things that I talk about. I was starting to get an idea for the fact that like these global economies that we're participating in are actually polluting the planet and causing strife for people in the global south. So like I kind of knew that even before I was really, you know, on this beat and That meant that when I moved over here, I couldn't just pack up my stuff and just donate it to a charity. I couldn't do that because I knew that there was something going on there where a lot of the stuff that I donated was not going to get used at all or resold. It was probably going to get dumped on someone or put in a landfill. So when I was going through my stuff, I had to thoughtfully think about everything. So it was putting up, you know, albums on Facebook for my Facebook friends and being like, you know, I will sell you everything $5, you know, you pay the shipping, that sort of thing, reselling online and doing all of that. When you have to like get rid of, you know, hundreds of items, 
it really makes you think when you're in the stores. Yeah, that's so true because I think so often it's like, oh, I'll have a clear out and I'll, you know, get a bin liner together and then I'll just put it in the charity clothes drop. And and if you imagine that each one of those pieces isn't going to someone else, it's going to be sitting in... A landfill or dumped in Ghana, you know. So when you actually take the time to thoughtfully decrease your items, so... Right now, if I were to go through my wardrobe and and find a lot of items that I I can't use anymore, I would probably hold a sale online. And then sometimes I will like donate the proceeds of that to a charity, but that takes work. Or I would, you know, resell on Vestier Collective. That also takes work. All of these things, they take work, but it makes you think before you go on a shopping spree, like, okay, but what's going to happen to this stuff once the dopamine runs out? Yeah, it's so true because, and I think a lot of people will be able to relate to this as like coping mechanisms after you have a breakup. And I spoke to Jilly De Silva um, on the podcast and she was saying that she used to go on these huge shopping sprees and also she used to buy really expensive holidays as like a way to cope. It's interesting because at the moment I'm selling things um, on a secondhand website yeah and it's work yeah the amount that goes into selling like one dress is like hours (laughs) it's work so I will resell my clothing either I'm lucky because I've got a big Instagram readership so that's an easy way to do it or I'll use Vestiaire Collective you know or any of the other resell sites I've used all of them to be honest it's all work and then that really makes you think and if I have anything left over that I've tried every other way of getting rid of it. I will give it to charity, but in order to donate it to charity, it has to be something that I would buy if I saw it on the racks. So that means no stains, no rips, no tears, all of its buttons, like new quality, and a label that people like. I have these rules for myself because I know that people are dumping things on charities and that's making the charity shopping experience not that great for everyone. And so what would you do with it if it had rips and not all of its buttons? Well, one of the things that I think we all need to do is we need to push for textile recycling to be made abundant because currently only 1% of textiles actually get recycled. So there aren't that many options. You can turn it into a rag. You can try and upcycle the garment in in some ways. There's a lot of projects online, but just like at the moment, a lot of textiles get landfilled because there's really not much, you know, there isn't much infrastructure for it. And that's, what's really sad because one, like, Only 1% of textiles gets recycled, but like every minute, a dump truck of textiles goes to landfill. Here's what people don't understand. Textiles can be used for all sorts of things like insulating homes. So when I see Insulate Britain doing their thing and people getting mad about them doing their thing, I just think that this is a legislative problem where we don't have legislators who are creative thinkers. Why don't we have systems in place for textile recycling to turn the textiles into insulation and that we can insulate people's homes? I didn't even think of that, that they can be used for insulation, which is like such a useful, yeah, like everyone needs it. So yes, yes. <laughs> oh my God, I'm definitely going to think more <laughs> next time I shop because I've been, I've been there and I don't know if anyone listening has been there too of, of like, just want to buy something what shall I buy sort of scenario and 
yeah, you get it home. And I've got some M&S sparkly boots upstairs that I bought because I was like, I just want to buy something. And they're not really my style. And I'm trying to sell them on eBay and it takes four million years. Uh, well, one thing I think you can do if you still feel that Keep a wish list of things that you want. You can do that on so many things like Pinterest or whatever, things that like you can actually use, things that like, you know, that sort of thing. I always have a wish list going of things that I would buy, you know, if the time comes. But when I was really coming off the fast fashion train, when I felt that urge and I don't feel that urge so much anymore, I would turn to like beauty products because I had never really gotten into skincare. And I was like, I should probably start taking care of my skin. And that was a nice way of being like, I really want to buy a treat, but I don't want to buy fast fashion. Let me go and dive through like the piles of like beauty at this discount store and see what's here and see if I can find a gem that I know that they sell on the uh, shelves at Liberty. And I did actually have, you know, I'm really good at like, finding like expensive brands at like discount stores. And so that was one way that I sort of allowed myself a bit of grace, but moved away from like consuming fashion. And then another thing I started to buy myself like nice socks. Like right now I've got so many socks from that time period because it's like, I don't want to buy fashion, but I'll buy myself a nice pair of socks instead. I like that. I've also started shopping secondhand Mm -hmm. and especially on eBay because you have to bid for stuff. So it takes ages. That's good for me because then, you know, the dopamine of the first thing goes away. And also what I do is I go on websites and I shop and I put it in my basket and then I never check out the basket. So it's still like the feeling of buying it but it never arrives. On eBay, set a limit for yourself. Always be like, this is the most I'm going to pay for that. And don't go above it because there is a nature there to be like, I just want to win it. Wait, I paid $200 (laughs) for this thing that I would never pay $200 for. Yeah, I'd always say to my mom, I won this on eBay. And she'd be like, you didn't win it. You bought it. (laughs) It's not a prize. (laughs) I'd be like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, I have to avoid, I have to bid like a day in advance, just my maximum, and then avoid the last, because it's the last minute when it's like four seconds to go that makes me go crazy. And then I just put in like 200 pounds. I have to avoid it because it's too much for me. But so you talk about that that sort of really difficult time after the breakup kind of being a pivotal point for you. And, and obviously we've talked about your kind of sustainable fashion, but you also said it was a pivotal time for you talking about all sorts of things because you didn't give a fuck anymore, like yeah. race. Yeah. So how did that kind of moment come of, I'm going to start talking about race on my platforms? Well, With the person that I've been dating, I had kind of been like dipping my toe in the water and I was sort of met with like, you know what I mean? And it was a bit like, that should have been a red flag, to be honest. The fact that I didn't feel like I could talk about these things with them. And then it was like, well, you know, they're out of the picture. I'm miserable. Fuck it. Let's just say the thing. What, what, what? I I can't get any lower than here. So if a bunch of people get mad at me because I'm like, hey, everyone, I'm a black person that's never told you how I really feel, then that's fine. Let them get mad. And it was definitely the minute you start talking about race, especially if you're a black person who grew up in a predominantly white area, it's 
it's like you have farted in the pool. It's it's a way of clearing out your friendship group. Like, because people will be like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, can't handle it, gotta go. So like there was this mass sort of friend exodus on my Facebook page because I was just like, yeah, and I'm gonna tell you how I feel about this. And the reason why that all happened was because the minute Barack Obama became president, all the racism in America, which had been like simmering beneath the surface, came bubbling right up to the top. It was like racists of the world had carte blanche to like be like, well, racism's over because we have a black president. So let me just say this really racist thing. I had never seen America like this before. And I should have known that it would happen. And I think that in many ways, I could see Donald Trump coming because of the ways in which people were reacting to this black person who had ascended to the highest seat in America, basically. And so I felt a need to start talking about race because white people were acting really whack. It was like, what? Like, I remember people started calling Facebook a race book, you know, (laughs) because it was just like someone's relatives would be like, I'm not racist, but (laughs) proceed to say something incredibly racist. And you're like, so I would argue that it was also the time period that we were in as a society. What do you think it is about speaking your mind that helped you through that time or did it help you? It helped me clarify all of my messaging that I do today on Instagram. Like Facebook is a great, I mean, it's a hellscape, but it's a great test kitchen as well, you know? So like it really helped me to get my messaging where it is today. And then also sometimes it's just like when you're a marginalized person and you're existing in a world that is very white, there are things that you keep inside of you. And when you let it out, it's like, it's like unbuttoning your trousers after a really heavy meal. It feels great. You know, you're just like, oh, thank God I finally told you how annoying it is when you say this thing. Like, I I grew up with people saying, I don't see color. What is that? What is that even? So you don't see color? What they're basically saying is your blackness is something I would like to not see because it makes me uncomfortable. I love being black. Being black is awesome. I want you to see that I am a black person because I think it's rad. Why do you have a problem with it? Talking to people about why phrases like that really suck. It did make people uncomfortable, but they need to hear it. I mean, it's not the same, but I have a hearing aid and sometimes I tell people and they say, oh, you'd never know as if I was trying to hide my and I'm like, I'm not trying to hide it. Like, I'm, you're very welcome to know. I love yeah. my hearing aid. I'm going to need a hearing aid in the future. I have hearing loss in my left ear and I've had it since I was a child. Oh, do it. They're great. You can stream music and podcasts and on your hearing aid now and answer the (laughs) phone on it. It's great. I recommend them thoroughly. (laughs) After going through that really difficult time and then sort of like, we talk a lot on the podcast about finding yourself again after a breakup. And it sounds like you did that in the kind of speaking out and and letting your voice be heard. How do you approach issues in relationships now? Do you think you approach them differently to before you had that period of time so it's tough because 
I feel like my partner and I are refining ourselves because nobody signed up to spend a pandemic together. Like, yeah, nobody who dated long distance for three years. First of all, you date long distance for like three years. And it's like, great. You're like, Oh, my God, I love you so much. It's like, let's get married. Let's take two adults who are well into their 30s and stuck in their ways. And then we're going to cram them together in a small London flat. And they've got their boundaries because they're older and a bit crotchety. And then one of them doesn't have a lot of stuff. One of them does have a lot of stuff. So let's have them fighting for space like rabbit raccoons. And then on top of that, let's add a sprinkle of pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) What a recipe. What a recipe. So I feel like we are refining ourselves as a couple and redefining because meeting and dating long distance and then moving in together is a challenge. It's a challenge when you come from two different cultures. It's a challenge when one person, when you're navigating an immigration system where the prime minister, ex-prime minister said they want to make it hostile for people that want to immigrate. You know, all of these things are challenges which we have been navigating together and we will constantly be navigating them because relationships are not easy despite what I thought before I was in a marriage. Well, if you ever get divorced, you know where I am. I'm here for you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) and him as well (laughs) if anyone feels that they can really relate to your story but they're finding themselves in that kind of dark time that that rock bottom do you have any words of wisdom or encouragement for them yeah it's true what they say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger like honestly when I came back, I was back with a vengeance I was back and I was not taking anyone's shit and like I definitely feel like, you know, as they say in Alice through the looking glass, the only way out is through. So you have to go through it and you have to feel it. And it sucks to feel all those things because it's painful. It's rough. But the finished product on the other side, the you that comes out the other side is going to be one of the better yous that you've experienced. And that's the thing. It sucks. But if you're going through it, keep going through because you will get out of that that time period. You'll get out of it. Nothing lasts forever. But uh, you do have to just go through it and you have to feel it. Yeah, it's so true. Go through the looking glass. <laughs> it is a bit of a looking glass situation, isn't it? Recovering from a breakup. Oh, God, recovering from breakup, loss, unemployment, just everything. But the funny thing was I truly stopped giving a fuck about what people thought of me that I was dating in this way. I was living for myself and myself only. I mean, not in a selfish way, but like, I think I had put way too much emphasis in the past on what that person thought of me. And when I met Steve, I was so brutally honest with him which we still laugh about because I was like, right, I live in my parents' basement and I'm mostly unemployed. By the way, if we ever get together, I'm not cooking and cleaning. Hope that's okay with you. And he was like, I'm in love. (laughs) I mean, he sounds like everyone's ideal. (laughs) We always joke that like, you know, I've got two sisters and they have both definitely... At the time period when Steve like met me, I was definitely the family loser. And we always sort of like joke that like 
Steve was like, I'll have that one in the basement. (laughs) (laughs) The one you've hidden away in the basement. I always tell him that like when he came, my family was going to hang up a banner that says, please, sir, take our shrew. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, it sounds very happy, <laughs> like it works. It, it, it does. It does. That's the funny thing. And I, I talk about how much we've been through in a relationship. And we really, I tell him like when we're, when we're like not getting on and when we're trying to like parse through it, I'm like, hold space for the fact that like we have been through so much, Steve, like seriously. And like when I arrived here, I was not quite penniless, but close enough. Couldn't work in this country. Didn't have working papers. Steve was the one with the job. You know, I had to basically like stay home and try not to spend money until I got my, my, um, my, uh, until I got my papers to work here and my resident alien card. And, you know, it was fine. We were happy, even though we were on one salary and it's hard in a very expensive city. And now our roles have completely flip-flopped. Like, I am the breadwinner and, you know, I'm happy to be there. But, like, we've had just so much incredible change in such a short amount of time. And so I give us props because I don't know a lot of relationships that would survive everything that we've, we've been through. And I know plenty of relationships that didn't survive the pandemic. And there's nothing wrong with that because no one actually signed up for this, you know. But when we aren't getting on or when things aren't going according to the plan, I always remind him exactly how far we've come and like how against the odds we're still hanging in there. And that's pretty rad. Yeah. I love that. Also, they always gives me hope when I speak to someone and they're in a kind of happy relationship now after, you know, being through a really bad breakup. Cause it's like, Oh, maybe in the future I'll have that too. Oh yeah. No, I think, everybody is worthy of love and no matter what age you are no matter where you find it i you know i i have faith in everyone i meet that love is coming for them oh that i feel like that's the perfect place to finish um thank you so much it's been glorious to chat to you where can people find you online and remind us about your book yeah so i am aja barber on instagram currently i am doing lots of fun reels of me getting dressed because I am a plus size person who advocates for sustainability and I want you to get dressed and I want you to really wear the things in your wardrobe. I'm not trying to sell you something every day because Lord knows that's part of the problem, but I want you to enjoy getting dressed and wear the things in your wardrobe and find ways to wear them differently. And then when you actually need something, if you can support a sustainable or ethical brand or buy it secondhand, I'm going to encourage you to do that too. So you can find me on Instagram at Aja Barber. I've written the book, Consume the Need for Collective Change, Colonialism, Climate Change, and Consumerism. That is available at all fine booksellers please do not go to Amazon, support your ND or Waterstones. And uh, I support my work. My work is supported through Patreon because when you are the person who like talks a lot of shit about the fashion industry, you can't then turn around and ask that same industry to pay you. So if you enjoy my message and you like what I'm doing and what I'm saying, if you sign up through Patreon, that would be cool as well. And that's me. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, It would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, But also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month and it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90 style divorce and heartbreak chat room and there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines and please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.